I'd like to invite you to uh, pray with me before we open the Word of God. Father, we are uh, truly blessed uh, to be your children, and we are so deeply grateful for the privilege that we have to come together, gather together on Easter Sunday, and to celebrate the resurrection of the Lord. Father, I, I was deeply moved by Mark's testimony, recognizing that a life, a heart can be changed from the inside out. And Lord, that's my prayer for each and every one of us this morning, that we might listen to the word of God, we might listen to that Easter story once again, and to recognize that the transforming power of Jesus Christ can save our lives. So Father, I pray that you would bless uh, these words. Uh, may each hearer be open to the spirit of God to receive the word of God. And we just pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to see you all here today and uh, the changed mankind. Now, all of their religions are believing in something, and that's good, and they have their different uh, philosophies and, and religious beliefs and all of that. But Christianity is unique in that everything that we do is based on one single event, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if you're not a, a Christian or a Jesus person or a Bible person, uh, you're probably wondering about the relevancy of that resurrection. Now, I'll tell you what I believe. Uh, a lot of people have believed that the resurrection was a hoax, that it just wasn't real. And that a lot of people, in fact, a billion people on this planet have staked their lives on the fact that it's real. But what I want you to open, uh, be open to today is to hear the evidence of why we believe that Jesus Christ literally died and rose from the dead. There's, there's empirical evidence to indicate that. And so I'd ask each of you today, even if you're not a, a Bible or Jesus or God person, I just ask you to be open to the possibility of hearing what God has to say to you. Now, we don't have a lot of traditions at Hope Covenant Church, and the reason we don't is because we're much more about relationships than we are about religion. Uh, religion is good for some people. For us, we just don't believe it's the answer. But a relationship with a living God is the answer. And so that's what we're about at our church. So one of the traditions that we do have is that um, on Easter Sunday, uh, whether we have it at our church or here, this is our third year at Tumbleweed Park, on Easter Sunday, uh, we want to give you an opportunity to make a decision to be a follower of Christ. So I just want to give you a heads up. At the end of the message, and it's not going to be very long, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say to yourself, you know what, this kind of makes sense to me. Or maybe you've been coming to our church for a while and you haven't really pulled the trigger on this faith thing and you say, well, you know, I think this is what God is wanting me to do or wanting me to take a step of faith. And so I just wanted to give you a heads up that at the close of the service today, we're going to give you an opportunity to say yes to God, to become a believer in Jesus Christ and to follow him as Lord. So again, no pressure. There'll be no, absolutely no pressure, but I just want you to be open to the possibility of Christ doing a transforming work in your heart. Now, today's message, it's kind of a funny title, and it's this, Nick and Joe Save Easter. Okay, you've probably never heard a, an Easter sermon like that. Nick and Joe Save Easter. Um, it involves uh, the story of Easter, of course, but more than that, it involves the backstory of Easter. You know what a backstory is, kind of what happened leading up to that. The primary story, you already know. 
Even if you're, again, not a Bible or a God person, you already know the story of Easter. Uh, 2,000 years ago, on a Sunday morning, when the sun rose, uh, some of Jesus' followers showed up to mourn the death and care for the body of Jesus, who was dead. The tomb was empty. The stone had been rolled away. And the Bible says in Acts that he appeared to over 500 people. So it wasn't like one or two people saying it happened. Over 500 people saw a living, walking, talking, resurrected Jesus. Now, that's the primary story. That's the Easter story. But let me give you the back story as it relates to Nick and Joe. This is very important. Because thanks to Nick and Joe, generations and generations, just like you and I, have had confirmation. And you'll see that in a little bit in the message. Confirmation that Jesus actually died and that he actually rose from the dead. And without Nick and Joe, this would have never happened. Let me explain why that's the case. In Jesus' day, um, anybody that was crucified by the Romans, uh, their body was not allowed to be claimed by their family. In fact, part of the punishment of the Roman crucifixion was to leave the body on the cross for several days until it was absolutely rotting, take the body off of the cross, throw it in a cart, and then wheel that cart down to a place called Gehenna. Now, if, again, if some of you know your Bibles, Gehenna is a word that's used in the Bible that describes hell. And so this place was awful because it was what was the word that was used for hell. It was like a smoldering uh, garbage dump. And there were rats everywhere, and it smelled, and it was just awful. But the, the bodies that were taken off the crosses because of this, the Romans' instructions, all of them were dumped in Gehenna. Um, and, and, and that's what happened when a man was crucified. Uh, the Romans forbade any of their family members to take the body and give the body a proper burial. Basically, the message was this. Don't mess with Rome. Don't mess with Rome. If you mess with Rome, we're going to crucify you, and then we're going to dump you in Gehenna, in that garbage dump. Don't mess with Rome. So that's what happened at the beginning. Now, this confirmation that Jesus died actually happened because Jesus didn't end up in Gehenna, and I'll tell you that in just a few moments. Now, the, the heroes of our story, Nick and Joe, actually their names are Nicodemus and Joseph, but Nick and Joe um, are not real heroes at all. Nick and Joe are just a couple of guys that are trying to figure out God, trying to figure out what it means to have a relationship with God. So that's who Nick and Joe are. So they're not these big heroes of faith. In fact, they didn't have very much faith at all. And one of the messages of Nick and Joe is that even if you don't have a lot of faith, if it's a small amount of faith, you can still connect your heart to God. And that's what we're all here about today. So we're looking at uh, this idea of what happened to the body after it was crucified. Now, what, here's, and this is a big deal. You need to hear this. That nobody, nobody expected the resurrection. Nobody was standing outside the, the tomb, you know, waiting for the resurrection. I mean, you would have thought that at least Mary, mom, right? And at least some others would have been out there expecting something good to happen. Nobody was there expecting anything. In fact, I, what I would have done if I thought he was going to be, I'd be out there and I'd be going like 10. Now you do that with me. 9, 8, 7. You don't have to do that anymore. But, 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 I, I, because you, but nobody was expecting that Jesus was going to come back from the dead. I mean, he was dead. It's over, Rover. It's just done. It's not going to happen. He's dead, and we're never going to see him again. Now, let me go back and tell you the story of Nick and Joe. The story of Nick and Joe begins early in the ministry of Jesus. Now, if you have your Bibles, and some of you do, I noticed, 
Uh, turn to John chapter 3. We're going to talk about that for a few moments. Now, there's a group of people that some of you have heard about, and they were called the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees were uh, the religious leaders of the day. And the Pharisees were the best of the best. They were the most righteous, the most religious, the most moral. In fact, their job was to be good. If somebody came up to a Pharisee and said, what do you do for a living? He said, I just be good. You know, that's what I do. I'm good. That's what I do all the time. I'm good. So these people were like the creme de creme of human beings. And here's what happened. Even though their job was to be good, they didn't like Jesus one bit. Now, why didn't they like Jesus? Quite simply, because Jesus wasn't about religion. See, they were all about religion. Do the list, check it off, be this, 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 and this, and then you're okay. But instead, uh, Jesus was about relationships. And so the Pharisees were very afraid of this message because if you take religion away, you're taking their job away. You're taking their power away. You're taking their authority away. So the Pharisees did not like Jesus at all. But in this group of Pharisees, there was a subgroup of Pharisees, a small group of Pharisees that were listening and watching the miracles of Jesus. And they were saying, you know what? There's something about this Jesus that I think I believe in. And among that small group, and we don't know how many there were, but we know there was at least two, one man by the name of Nicodemus, we'll call him Nick, and the other man by the name of Joseph, Joseph of Arimathea, and that was Job. So among this, this group of dozens of Pharisees, the small group of Pharisees were wondering about Jesus. So that small group got together and said, let's find out more about Jesus. So uh, they drew straws, and uh, Nick gets the short straw. They said, go to Jesus at night, because we don't, because <laughs> the Pharisees would be mad at us if they see us hanging around with Jesus. Go to Jesus at night and ask him the question we've all been dying to hear. So Nick does that. John chapter 3, verse 1. Listen to this. Now there's a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus. That's Nick, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. Now that means he was like a senator. Everybody knew Nicodemus. He had a lot of authority, a lot of influence on the community. And the story continues, John 3, 2. He came to Jesus at night. Now, why? Well, we know why. Because he didn't want anybody to know that he was hanging out with Jesus. Because the other Pharisees would be very mad at him. So he came to Jesus at night. And here's our key word, we. In other words, I'm not here as a me. I'm representing a we. There's a group of us who've been watching you, Jesus. And there's a group of us who have questions. There's a group of us who are starting to believe. But we've got so many questions. So we go on with John chapter 3, verse 2. Rabbi, we know, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. Now, this was quite a concession. So Nick's kind of getting riled up. He's getting ready to, to pull the trigger and ask the question. But instead, Jesus already knows what question he's going to ask. And this is what Jesus says in John 3, 3. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And Nick goes, how did he know what question I was going to ask? Now, he wasn't going to ask it in those words, but how did he know what question I was going to ask? Because Nicodemus and Joseph and all the other Pharisees and all the other people and even you and I always have these same basic questions deep inside of us. At some point, we want these questions answered. How do I know if I have right standing with God? 
How do I know when I die there's something else for me? How do I know that God loves me? Is it possible to know that God actually knows my name? Is there any way in this life to have assurance about where I stand with God? Now, those are the questions that Nicodemus was going to ask, but it was all summed up in this one idea, you must be born again. Now, now it gets kind of weird, because uh, Nicodemus is thinking, what kind of a weird thing is that to say? You know, you got to go back into your mother's womb. He said, that's kind of gross, and who wants to think about that? I don't want any part of that. And so listen to what he says. How can a man, can anyone be born when they are old? Nicodemus said, surely, probably with a smile on his face, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. But anyway, the whole point was this. Jesus, I have a very serious question. And what I'm telling, what I need to know is, do I have assurance? Is there any way I can know God and be right with God in this life? And then Jesus adds this in John 3, 5. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and of the Spirit. Now, what that talks about is being born physically and then being born of the Spirit. So in this one sentence, Jesus is giving Nicodemus and all of us this idea that being born again is not some weird kind of thing out there. Being born again is literally having the inside of your heart transformed. It's being born anew. Once we were born anew on the outside, now we can be born anew on the inside. And that's what Jesus was telling Nick. He said, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven without being born again. So here, here we go. Uh, Nick is kind of going, now wait a minute. All my life I've been told that I, it's all about my behavior. All my life I've been told that it's about how, how well I behave. And Jesus is coming along and saying, no, it's not about your behavior. It's about your belief. It's about believing. And this kind of turned Nicodemus' world upside down. So what you're saying, Jesus, is that you can actually, a human being can connect with the heart of God by having their hearts, their, their lives changed from the inside out. And Jesus said, that's exactly what I mean. It's not about behavior. It's about believing. Then Nick hears this last word from Jesus in John 3.15. And here's what Jesus said. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. Wow. Everyone who believes in me will have eternal life. And then after that, the most famous verse in the Bible, and again, even if you're not a Bible God, Jesus person, you've heard this verse before, John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Nicodemus is going, unbelievable. You mean it's not about my behavior? It's about my belief? That's exactly right. Nick says, who believes in him? Don't you mean who behaves? Nick thinks, man, I was taught that you behave your way into heaven. And now Jesus is saying, no, it's about believing your way into heaven. John 3.15, everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Now, the conversation ends there. Nicodemus goes back, reports to the other small group of, of uh, Pharisees that are kind of starting to believe in Jesus. But, and then while they do that, they continue to watch because the Pharisees, dozens of Pharisees are watching Jesus because he is a problem for them. He is a real problem for them because he's teaching about relationships and not religion. So they're going around and they're wondering what this Jesus is going to do. So now thousands of people are following him. All kinds of things are going on. Finally, the Pharisees says, that's it. We've got to do something. So they have the temple guard arrest Jesus. 
Now, the temple guard, the Romans allowed uh, the Jewish people to have a little bitty tiny army. And so they could kind of rule their own people. And that was the temple guard. So uh, this temple guard arrests Jesus. They bring him in before questioning to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees just pounding away questions of Jesus. Why did you heal somebody on the Sabbath? Why did you do this? And they're just pounding away questions. And then Nicodemus is there. And he kind of cuts his eyes over to Joseph. And Joseph looks over at Nicodemus. And some of the others that are part of their group are looking at each other. And basically their eyes are saying, Nicodemus, say something. Do something. Do something. We don't know what's going on here. Do something. They're going to kill Jesus. We know it. We better do something. And so finally, uh, Nicodemus uh, sheepishly raises his hand, and Nicodemus asks, and, and he says, now, to the other Pharisees, now, I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, I'm a big-time follower of Jesus. I'm not saying that at all. But I, I think we should at least ask the question, and, and this is what he says in John 7, 51. Does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he has been doing? Now, Nicodemus asked this question, and you can imagine what the other Pharisees said. What? Are you on the side of this, this traitor? Are you on the side of this Jesus? And they're all excited. And, everything. and Nicodemus basically just asked the question. He said, I'm just saying, he said, I'm just saying, shouldn't we ask him, why can he do all of these miracles first? Well, then, this is my favorite part of the story. After the big meeting, everybody's mad at Nick. Uh, nothing's accomplished. They release Jesus because they have no reason to hold him. And Nick's, now, Nick's gone a little public, right? A little bit. He's a little bit in Jesus' camp, and he's gone a little public there. Jo Joseph hasn't. The others haven't yet, but Nick has. And so the Pharisees continue to follow Jesus, and this is what they see, a couple of things. First of all, they see him come across a woman who was taken in adultery, who was arrested, caught in the act of adultery. And they take her out. They drag her out into the marketplace. The Pharisees gather around her. According to Jewish law, they're able to do this. Each of them picked up a stone, a stone anywhere from a half to three quarters of a pound. That's a big stone. And they stood around her, and by law, they were supposed to kill her, stone her to death, because she, uh, she had committed adultery. So these Pharisees are standing around, and not Nick and Joe. They're watching on the outskirts, obviously. And they're standing around, and they're ready to just pummel this woman. And Jesus steps up. Now, this made them mad anyway, right? They're already mad at Jesus. Jesus steps up and says, whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. And he says to the Pharisees, now the, the one of you, of you Pharisees, the one of you that has no sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? You throw the first rock. The, the, the one of you that has no sin. And of course, all these guys are thinking, uh-oh, does he know something? How did he find out? You know? And they start backing away from this woman like this. You know, Nobody wants to throw that first stone because all of them have sinned, right? No perfect people allowed. All of them have sinned. And so now... Jesus bends down, he helps this woman off the ground, he kind of helps her dust off, and he says, woman, where's your accusers? And she said, I have none. He said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he didn't say your lifestyle's okay, it wasn't. But he said, I don't condemn you. I've come here for a relationship with you. Even somebody like that, a relationship with you. Even somebody like Mark or like me, a relationship with you. I don't condemn you, now go and sin no more. So the Pharisees were absolutely livid after this. They were furious. So here's what happens next. So he goes on and does some more things. And then he comes across uh, this idea that Jesus heard that his friend Lazarus had died. And uh, Jesus couldn't get back to Bethany until three days later. So by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has been dead for three days. And the Bible says, surely by now he stinketh. And so he was already dead and he was already stinking. But Jesus raised him from the dead. And now that's the last straw. The last straw. The Pharisees say, 
he is so popular. There is such a buzz about this Jesus. We've got to do something, and we've got to do something now. So now they go and they get the Romans involved. They tell the Romans, this guy's causing problems. He's, he's going to take money away from your taxes. And you guys need to do something about this Jesus. So they did. He was arrested by the Romans, dragged to Golgotha. That's the word, the place of the skull where he's crucified. Nick and Joe are on the edge of the crowd. And they're saying to themselves, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. Jesus didn't do anything wrong. I believe that he's the savior like he said he is. I believe that he's a man from God. And they're thinking about all this. And, and yet they're going to kill him. And so this is when Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea decided they can't hide any longer. We can no longer be secret followers of Jesus. And they did the unthinkable. After they watched Jesus bleed to death on the cross, proven by the fact that one of the soldiers threw a spear into his side and out came blood mingled with water, which means his lungs are already filled with blood. That means he was already dead. That proved that he was dead. After that, uh, they went, uh, the, after they proved that, uh, they went to Pilate themselves and asked to see, to have the body. Now, here's how John records it. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, this wasn't all that unusual. Now, if you're a poor family and you couldn't have anything to do with these criminals that were, that were uh, crucified, but if you had a little scratch, <laughs> if you had some money, if you had a six-pack or a $100 bill, and the guy, the Roman soldier that was driving the cart to Gehenna with a, 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 a whole a cart full of bodies that were rotting and stinking, and, and, and if you went up to him and slipped him a $100 bill or gave him a case of beer or something like that, he'd look both ways. And, okay, you can take the top one off the, you know, off the cart. They'd take that body. But instead of doing that, they went directly to the source. They went to Pilate. Now, understand this. These guys who have been Pharisees are now declaring, we're followers of Jesus. And we go to Pilate, and they ask for permission, the authority, to take his body. Now, listen to what John says about Joseph of Arimathea, John 19, 38. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly. Why? Because he feared the Jewish leaders. Later, Pilate wanted to confirm that Jesus was actually dead before he would release the body to them. So here's what it says. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. And there's no, that's what John tells us. There's no surprise here. And then John uh, 1939. He, Joseph of Arimathea, was accompanied by, guess who? Nicodemus, Nick, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Now, now they're out in the open. They've gone public. They've decided from this point on, we don't care what people think about us. We just saw the Son of Man, the Son of God, give his life away. And, and we've all missed that. And, and so we're going to do the courageous thing. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to take care of his body. John 19, 39. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Now, this is a critical part of the story that a lot of Christians don't even know. Nick and Joe embalmed the body. 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh, and they would put that on, they wrapped uh, like uh, strips of cloth around him, and when this thing hardened, you'd wet it down. When this thing hardened, it kind of preserved the body so that it wouldn't stink too soon, but it preserved the body. But the thing is, they would put this over his head and his face. It was very critical that they did. This was by Jewish law. They had to do it this way. So they completely wrapped Jesus in this thing, and when it was done and it was dried, it weighed over 100 pounds. 100 pounds. 
In John 19, 40, it says, Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen. This was in accordance to the Jewish burial customs. What they would do is they'd wash the body, then they'd put all these spices on, wrap it in this linen, and when it hardened, 100 pounds, including covering the entire head and face. That's the way they left Jesus in the tomb. His entire face and head and body were wrapped in this liquid, weighing it down again, over 100 pounds. And then the story continues. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Anybody knows whose garden that was? Joseph's. Joe's. That's right. It was Joe's garden. He had it. He was a rich man, a rich Pharisee. And he had it. It was a tomb created for his family. Nobody had ever used it yet for he himself and his family members. So they took the body of Jesus and they tried to do this quickly before Passover was over. Passover would have been over at uh, uh, dusk on that Friday, right? And uh, they, they took his body in and they placed it in the tomb and they sealed it. And, and, and this thing was for certain. Jesus, who came from God, was crucified. He was dead. And there was no hope of ever seeing him alive again. No hope whatsoever. But you see, as it was with their faith, their courage, it was their concern for the body of Jesus that paved the way for centuries of Christians and generations of Christians like you and I to believe that Jesus actually died and rose again. Here, here's, here's why. You see, if Jesus, if, they had not, if Nick and Joe had not taken care of the body, what would have happened? His body would have been thrown into Gehenna. And it would have been after several days and thrown into Gehenna. And then three days later, because Jesus was still Jesus, he was still going to rise from the dead, right? Three days later, Jesus would have come walking out of Gehenna, you know, with rat bites and smelling with stuff hanging all over his head and, and say, hey, I'm alive. And everybody would go, that's remarkable. But, you know, you probably weren't dead when you left there. But what Nick and Joe did in embalming him and literally placing him in that tomb and covering up his face completely... What Nick and Joe did was prove to the entire world, generations upon generations of believers and unbelievers, that Jesus Christ truly was dead and he was raised, he rose again from the dead. It's so cool what the writers of the gospel tells us. Because when the women came to the tomb, remember, no one was there expecting the resurrection. No one was. The women came the next day, and uh, women, you'll like this. They came with, uh, with aloe and uh, clothes and things because they knew that Nick and Joe had prepared the body, and the women assumed that they just didn't do it the right way. So, <laughs> ladies, you'll know, that, you know, you know what that's like. So, so anyway, so they bring it to kind of finish up the job. And what they did, they found the stone rolled away. How did that happen, right? Because there was two guards out there. How did the stone get rolled away? And they walked in, and none of them said, he is risen. They said, where's the body? Where's the body? It's gone. Who took the body? No one expected the resurrection. And that's how Nick and Joe saved Easter. They proved to a world that was not expecting resurrection that this man truly did die and he truly was raised from the dead. And the wonderful part about all of this is the backstory is really the real story. The backstory is how that Nick initially wanting to have answers to, for his life from this Jesus, wanting to have answers, he got those answers in the form of, you must be born again. It's not about behavior. It's about belief. It's about trusting in the Lord. Now, what we say around our church is this. Sometime in your life, you're going to want to come to a place in your life 
where you say, you know what? Uh, what I've come to believe in will satisfy me. Maybe it's a relationship, a job, sex, drugs, alcohol, any number of things. It's something you have come to believe will satisfy you, and then you discover that it doesn't satisfy you. When you come to that place, that's the point at which Jesus comes in and says, I will satisfy your soul. I am the bread of heaven. I am the water of life. If you're thirsty, if you're hungry, I will satisfy your soul. Nick and Joe did us an amazing favor. They showed us that it's not about behavior. It's about belief. It's about trusting in Jesus Christ. It's about that internal change, that internal transformation that takes place through a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Now this morning, if there's something that, as we've been talking these few minutes, has kind of risen up inside of you, and if you're feeling like, you know what, maybe I, I believe this stuff. Maybe, maybe Jesus did come to die for my sins. Maybe, maybe he is real. If you're feeling some of that, friends, that's not good preaching. That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit just nudging you and saying, this is real. Your life can be changed. Like Mark Sullivan, like Dwayne Cross, who are sinners par excellence, God says, I can change you. I can transform you. I can make your life brand new. If that's been kind of going on inside of you this morning, I would love to lead you in a prayer. Now, what I'm going to do in that prayer is simply, you don't get saved by a prayer. Uh, it, it's your heart. If you feel like God is speaking to you, if God is real to you, then you allow him to come into your life and by faith receive Jesus Christ. It's, it's like saying, Lord, I, I believe that you are my Savior, Jesus. I accept you as my Savior by faith. And, and, and I want those answers to those big questions. And the only answers I can find that make any sense is that God loves me enough to send his son Jesus to die for my sins. So if you've never done that, and if you want to just mark today, maybe you've done it before, but you want to mark today, Easter Sunday, April 8th, 2012, as the day that you gave your heart to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me. Would you please bow your heads? And again, there's nothing magic about the words you Pray it however you want. Uh, don't pray it out loud, but just in the quietness of your own heart. But pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I believe you are my Father. I believe Jesus was your Son, whom you sent into this world to die for my sins. And right now I place all my trust in what you did on my behalf. I am not any longer trusting in my behavior. I am not trusting my promises. I'm not trusting my good intentions. I'm not trusting my church attendance. I'm not even trusting my prayers. I'm placing all my faith in what Jesus did when he died on the cross for my sin. Lord Jesus, receive me into your family. Receive me into your kingdom. I believe in Jesus. With your head still bowed and your eyes still closed, just for a moment, I just want to give you an opportunity. I said this at the beginning of the message. If you prayed that prayer to just ask Christ to come in and to transform your life, I would love to know that. And the best way I know how to do that is for you to raise your hand. And when you do raise your hand, look up at me right up here front. No, else, no, no one else is looking around. Would you just raise your hand? God bless you. Yes. God bless you. Yes. Yes. God bless you here. Yes, son. God bless you. God bless you. Yes. God bless you, honey. Others? Others? All, yes. God bless you. Any others? Father, how joy. What a joy it is to see people who say, Lord, I believe. 
I believe Easter is about believing in Jesus being alive and, and he can be alive in my heart, in my soul. So Lord, I just thank you and praise you that you have given us an opportunity to know you, to serve you, and to love you. So Father, I thank you for these who have prayed to receive Christ. I thank you, Father, that they by faith have invited you into their life. And I pray, Lord, that their lives would never, ever, ever be the same. And we pray these things in the precious name of Jesus. And all of God's people together said, Amen. Amen. Amen.